This is episode 26 of Pals with Bill Wadman, and I have Alex McDonald on here, uh, who is my tap dancing friend, who's also a singer-songwriter, who is also many things. You do a lot of stuff. Yeah, wear a lot of hats. Like the one you're wearing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, I wanted to bring you on here because you and I have had long conversations over meals and i'm sure we'll have more long conversations over meals later today later today yeah (laughs) about sort of commonalities between what we do and 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 artistic expression and and all this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. but i feel like there's a lot of people who don't know all that much about tap Mm -hmm. and you're sort of the most knowledgeable person i've ever met about tap He's shaking his head right now. He's, he's, he's kind of doing that. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I know a lot about tap, but I'm, I'm not the godfather of tap kind of face. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, no, I, I guess it's just that I know a lot of people who know a lot about tap. Yeah, right. fair enough. Most people, if they're lucky, know one person who knows a lot about tap. Right, yeah, so. yeah. You're like, I know everybody who knows a lot about yeah. tap. <laughs> it's a Most small world tap at a certain level. Yeah, yeah, at, at the... At the level of people who are doing it for a living and, um, and also just for their like life's blood. Yeah. Yeah. A a shrinking world or a growing world? Growing for sure. Okay. Um, growing, especially in, in pockets around the world, um, there's tap festivals cropping up in new cities in Europe and in Scandinavia and South America every year. Yeah. Um, so I think it's definitely growing and, and, that's being accelerated by social media, um, maybe somewhat to the chagrin of some of the gatekeepers. And what um, they, they don't like, they want to keep it small. Or no, they it's that it? it's that information spreads so quickly, and maybe not always the highest quality information. Oh, I see. Yeah, um, and also because the texts um, regarding the history of our art form and our, our uh, there's not so many of them, and they definitely haven't been translated into that many languages. So. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of amazing footwork happening all over the world, but not always the same grounding uh, and awareness and understanding of where it all comes from. And well, okay, so that's wow. There's so many places. Uh, there's so many things I want to ask from just that one statement. First of all, is is the idea of orthodoxy within tap? Okay, you know that that there's this is the correct way to tap. Mm-hmm. This is the way it's always been. Mm-hmm. What are you doing messing with tap and sticking tap inside of other dances or bringing other dance styles into tap? Yeah. I'm sure there's that's a whole argument within mm-hmm. the – and yeah. <laughs> He's just like, yeah, that's a thing. Um, also, just like, you know, the idea that you said that there's certain books that are sort of the classics in this stuff. It's, are, are they old? Are these, are these things from the 1920s or are these things – like how, how does that all work? So um- – in terms of, do you want me to answer the first question first or start? Well, actually, with you know what? Hold on to those questions. Okay. Can, we, can we talk a little history first? Sure. Okay. Tap is, would you say it's an American? Yes. Okay. American creation. Mm-hmm. But you can say African American dance. You could say Irish dance came into it, European mm-hmm. sort of traditional dances. Mm-hmm. And it's this amalgamation the same way jazz is an amalgamation of so many different things in America. Yes, it's definitely an amalgamation. But in terms of, I would say more, um, 
more to the point, TAP is a microcosm of the black experience in America, right? And it's um, in a way that, yes, there's source material from, from places like Ireland and the UK, um, as well as Central and Western Africa. Yeah. But I think at some point in its development, in terms of um, the the experience that it carries, yeah. um, I think maybe the the way that people of Irish descent would associate or identify with that kind of spread, maybe more towards clogging and yeah. um, flat foot flat uh, flat foot dancing and. Um, um, not entirely unrelated, though. No, no, not world. at all. But so, okay, so tap. Um, maybe the first instance of mingling of these of these traditions from disparate continents yeah. would have actually happened in the Caribbean, um, where you had African slaves and Irish indentured servants. Oh, interesting. Um, now that that would have happened early on. Then, in the in the New World. Um, when we, when we, okay, take it back to uh, slavery. Right. And there's a law passed that is banning, that bans drums, right, from slaves. And they take their instruments away. They could even have their hands cut off if they were caught playing drums because um, of the fear that they could coordinate and communicate rebellion. communications. And, and in fact, they did in times yeah. successfully rebel using this, right? So, um, and on top of that, you have people who have been stolen from their homes and, and are now being, unlike in South America, where oftentimes you'd have people from the same tribe or, or culture with the same language sort of staying together. In, in, in the United States, people were constantly being thrown and, and mixed all over. So they couldn't even necessarily communicate with each other language-wise all the time. Um, so here's where the, the genius of, of tap dance comes in, because... When these instruments are taken away, um, the rhythms and the the culture, the the meanings, they begin to transfer to the body and the feet, right? And um, so sometimes cultural information it doesn't disappear; it just it has to um, retreat into the body sure. so it can reemerge and can't re-manifest. take this away. It's how we yeah. move. It's yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, same same idea with like freedom songs okay calling out like a melody maybe they're singing about something that sounds mundane but they're actually communicating how to escape right right so tap at its inception is a form of resistance and is, is a um uh, a means of holding on to one's culture despite all efforts at its erasure and a means of expressing one's humanity even when that's being vigorously denied yeah right sure so okay so that's one side of it now you have to also add elements of Slaves are seeing dances that they that the slave owners are doing, uh, which would seem very silly to them, right? One sure. of, of course, the people of European descent and throughout a lot of um, the history of of people writing about dance would would describe African dances as uncouth and and sure. vulgar and all this, right? But for um, certain things, for the the people of African descent watching European dances would seem vulgar too because. Um, like interpersonal touch would not be a common thing in a lot of West African traditional dances. Yep. So when they're seeing um, partner dances, that would be from their perspective, somewhat vulgar, right? Yeah, so yeah. now you have um, slaves who begin to imitate and sometimes mock the dances of the slave owners. Here you have the birth of something called the cakewalk, 
Right. And the cakewalk was really a dance that slaves used. It was a safe space for them to make fun of the slave owners. And now the slave owners, maybe knowing or maybe not knowing, or maybe they really couldn't acknowledge if they knew that they were being made fun of, right? Um, they, they reward the dancers, yeah. the, the best cakewalk dancer yeah. with a cake, right? So yeah. you have this, again, this sort of subtle form of protest um, you're making me entertain you against my will. Well, I'm going to kind of take the piss yeah. out of you on the way. Yeah. And it's, I'm sure it w- would be, uh, cathartic as well. Of course. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Now when we talk about the Irish side of things, um, and you look at the great famine and, and people leaving and, um, to come to the new world, um, a lot of the, a lot of the, the poorest area of Ireland at that time was Connemara, uh, which is the west coast, um, uh, what like in County Galway, west of Galway City along the coast. Very gray, hard to eke out, um, you know, uh, an agricultural existence. And, and that's sort of where people got pushed. The expression used to be to hell or to Connacht, which is the Irish word for Connemara. Um, and, and even when... Um, after the after the independence was gained from uh from britain and they started to the, uh there was a commission set up to kind of cultivate irish culture as distinct irishness is distinct from englishness right right and certain dances were chosen and certain songs were chosen to kind of represent that and the dances from connemara again were considered a little more uncouth and were kind of excluded and so there's a dance style from there called Shannos, which means old style, or Damsa Aran Shannos, dancing in the old style, which is a solo improvisational step dance that is kind of traditionally what your drunk uncle did at the house party. <laughs> um, but it's, it, it's, not, it's not the way most people today would view Irish step dancing, right? Okay. So it's more into the ground. It's not as much about virtuosity as it is... Um, fitting in with the tune, the arms are free to move. It's not. It's not stiff in that way. Yeah. Um, the aesthetic's very different, and it's improvisational. Yeah, because a lot so, of that other stuff is very structured, right? It's very, you know, yes, almost like line dancing kind of. You yes. Know what I mean? Well, and and well, and it's it's unison. gotten to a place of extreme virtuosity. Yeah. Um, and some of the older generation would lament that fact because they'd feel like, what's the expression I heard when I was living there? Um, a lot of notes, little music. Yeah. Um, Taking all the fun out of it. Yeah. So um, these are some blanket statements. No, which no, I, I, but, no, that's fine. Um, so, okay. So when we, when we think about um, dances that came over from Ireland, um, I think important to think of, to, to talk about Shan Nos, which wouldn't have even had that name at the time. It's just, that was a name that they came up with in the seventies to describe what they were doing. So other people would know. But it was just the, the step dancing they did. 70s being 1870s or 1970s? Uh, no, 1970s oh. when, the, when a name was placed that's on a, That's what yeah. I'm asking. Okay, yeah. Okay. Um, so, okay, so now in the, in the New World, post-Civil War, um, you have, especially in places like New York City and in the Five Points District in New York City, you have um, former slaves, yeah, yeah. Irish Free immigrants. Blacks, Irish immigrants right. kind of mingling. Mingling, competing for status, competing for space, competing for work, um, and seeing each other's dances. So one of the earliest documentation that we have of of this kind of mingling was a pair of dancers 
uh, William Henry Lane, who is known as Master Juba, and um, uh, John Diamond, who is an Irish dancer. And the two of them sort of created an act uh, around cha- doing a challenge dance together, and they yeah. ended up traveling the country and doing this, performing this way. Yeah. So there's, you know, newspaper clippings written about it and that sort of thing. Yeah, which would have been um, a big deal at the time, just even just having a white and a black dancers yeah. in a show together yeah. doing that, yeah. So, um, so yes, when we, when we look at the early development of tap, you see all this mingling. Um, and I think it's oftentimes grossly oversimplified in, in the way that... Most history is. Yeah, in, in that people say, okay, um, from Africa, we got polyrhythms and syncopation. And from Ireland, there was sort of the articulation of the footwork um, and some of the steps. Well, there was plenty of footwork coming from Africa. There was plenty of syncopation in Ireland. Sure. Um, you know, there had there had to be something that was, um, I don't know if kindred is the word, but something in the first place that made it accessible for people. But, but to, neither alone was what we kind of ended up with afterwards. No, absolutely right? not. Tap which is, dance which is, is an kind American of, art I mean, form. That, that kind of intermingling where it really is the creation of something new mm-hmm. is pretty rare in artistic forms. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea that like two of these very, these two similar things from very far away come together and give us something arguably better than the parts that came into it. Yeah, or, or just, just distinct. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but all of this is not that long ago. We're talking 140 years. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, the, 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 um, when it starts to turn into maybe when it starts to kind of coagulate into what we know as, yeah. t- as tap dance. Sure. Um, cause I mean, you also remember that, um, there weren't metal taps on the bottom of shoes well, for the, a long that's time. That's the thing so. I was going to ask. Like when did, when did the metal taps come in? Well, so the, 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 the the trajectory would be this barefoot to um, next you have bottle caps kind of bent and held between the toes. Um, You have wooden shoes, sometimes bottle caps wedged onto the bottom of wooden shoes, sometimes sand poured down uh, to get a different kind of texture and sound. Um, And the, the taps really came as a, uh, as, as a result of, needing more sound in a theatrical space. Okay. Right. Because, uh, this originally is more of a street dance yeah. and the kind of thing that, okay, you, you know, you go to this corner and challenge the kids on that corner. And it, once you conquer that corner, then you go to the next corner where they're a little more serious yep. and, and kind of work your way up. Now taps like putting metal plates on shoes mm-hmm. was a military thing for a long time mm. too. Right. It's not like it's, these are the first people to put you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I don't know about that yeah. military side of things. Um, you, I mean, like you go to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier and they have mm-hmm. taps on the shoes because they're in the click, right, click, 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 Yeah. So it's got to be, you know, there's got to be some level of... Some precedent. Yeah, hell, maybe it came from Civil War, you know, so right. people were like, wow, we did this thing and it was loud, yeah. so let's do that. Right. Um, okay, so that, yeah, okay, so then th- that 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 was the thing about just getting louder in the theaters. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, as far as I know, I mean, I haven't I haven't actually researched the history of the shoe quite as much. Um, it is interesting though, because it's very specific thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, and taps obviously not the only, there's the, so many cultures and countries have a percussive dance, right? Yeah. Um, whether it's, um, you know, gumboot dancing in South Africa, whether it's Mexican folklore, whether yeah. it's flamenco in, in the Andalusia region or Irish step or Katak dance in India. Yeah. There's, there's, this is a, a concept that, 
really spans a lot of different continents and, and cultures. Yeah. Um, and the shoe wear is distinct and, and the approach to the floor is distinct right. in each. And form. this was also at a time around the turn of the century when vaudeville and theater shows mm-hmm. and early films, right? Like early motion pictures yeah. and stuff. That was the entertainment oh, of you the have day. To, you have to realize there, there was a long stretch of time where tap dance was the most popular dance yep. in this country. Um, I think I heard Stephen Colbert joking about it one time a couple years back on his old show. He had Savion on and Savion Glover, and he, yeah. he mentioned, um, he said, God, it was so popular. They were wedging tap acts into, into crime films, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but it's sort of the case that, you know, it was a way to just boost the movie, just throw a tap number in. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, and, and in, in vaudeville and um, – and in the big band era, most most of these bands had a tap dancer that traveled with them. And, right. Um, uh, the, the Luke, did you introduce me to this guy? The guy who's tapping with Harry Connick Jr. now? Oh, yeah. I know Luke. I don't know. If, I don't think I introduced you Somebody to him. introduced me to him, and I, I, I'm supposed to shoot him next time he's in New York. Oh. Um, yeah, good guy. But, yeah, supposedly a real nice guy. Mm-hmm. But, like, there's Harry Connick Jr. He's like, I'm going to have a tap dancer mm-hmm. in, in, my, in my crew. Yeah. You know? I forget how. I think they that came about because Luke was in... I could be wrong, but I think Luke was in a, a a musical review or some some sort of show that that had Harry Connick Jr.'s music in it. Or I, I forget exactly. They met and kind of and and got this to talking, and then, yeah. and then and then Harry Connick Jr. invited him yeah to come on the road with him. And, yeah, uh, yeah. So so a great time. getting back to the initial sort of quasi questions, <laughs> uh, if you know, I sometimes think about say you think about jazz music right and you can say if somebody's playing this is all very broad but i'm just trying to like sort of define it if somebody says oh play me jazz and you play a bebop riff Mm -hmm. people would say yes that's definitely jazz there's no one would agree would think oh no that's way too modern to be called jazz Mm -hmm. in fact if anything everything goes back to charlie parker and charlie parker's the beginning of modern jazz Mm -hmm. according to certain arguments so 1940s or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Early 50s. Is it, and and if that's sort of the 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 definition of what people think of when they think of jazz, is there an equivalent in tap where tap has has changed over the years, but there is a certain date with a certain person maybe where this is sort of what people think of when they think traditional modern tap. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, I know it's a different it's a difficult question to answer. I'm just trying to get some guideposts. Yeah, in. so I've got I've got several thoughts. He's like, I got six answers to that question. Um, one, for better or for worse, nine times out of ten, if I meet someone and they say, what do you do? I say, I'm a tap dancer. Fred Astaire is the first name out of their mouths. Right. Still today. Really? Still today in 2019, Fred Astaire is taking up a way outsized portion of the yeah. of the uh, the conversation. Yeah. Right. And while the man could dance, he was not primarily a tap dancer. Was well, he? I, I'd say he was he was known for for tap dance, but this is the thing: Fred Astaire was a routine man, okay, and he, you could say maybe uh, one of the early creators uh, or pioneers of like the music video. Sure, um, you know, introduced a lot of popular songs in the American Songbook to the to the country. I mean, composers wrote songs specifically for Fred Astaire to sing for the first time. Yeah, yeah and he could um, sing and. Uh, but Fred Astaire could have the career he had as a tap dancer because he was white. 
Right. He was by no means the the best tap dancer yeah. of his era. He wasn't really an improviser. Is he the Elvis of tap dancing? Um, I don't know. If the, <laughs> uh, I, I, see, and I'm one of those people for when it comes to Elvis, like, yes, Elvis was taking a lot of black musicians feel and whatever it is and doing it. He did it well. It's not like he did it poorly. Yeah. You know, Fred Astaire. Um, well, one person that Fred Astaire was sort of patterned after tap wise was a man named John Bubbles. And I, I don't know that Fred Astaire ever, ever publicly acknowledged that or even the informal lessons that he got from John Bubbles. Um, John Bubbles was the next really significant tap dancer to come along after Bill Robinson. Okay. Um, and he's, he's uh, largely credited with incorporating the heels more into tap and, and adding a different kind of syncopation. With just, the, just for clarity, clarity's sake, can you give me some uh, decades on, on, these, on these guys? Yeah, 20s, 30s, okay. uh, 40s. So, I mean... John Bubbles lived, uh, you know, he danced later in life too, but in his heyday. And he was part of a vaudeville team called Buck and Bubbles. Okay. Buck was the piano player. Bubbles was Bubbles the tap dancer. And sometimes they would switch. Buck was very short and they, they would have these sort of comedic moments where Buck would get up and, and dance a little bit. And um, so, uh, so, yeah, okay. So when people think of tap dancing, um, I don't know what most people think when they hear tap dancing i think that if we're lucky and depending on their generation they've heard of gregory hines right or they've um sammy sammy yeah um you know if they're if they're older and of a certain cultural background i'm sure they're aware of bill robinson of the nicholas brothers you know yeah um nicholas brothers man but there's some of those things on youtube and i'll put some in the show notes mm -hmm. because they're just some of those guys dances they're insane yeah well, both of those guys double hip replacements later in life. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. In fact, because uh, they're pulling off these routines on what were essentially concrete floors. Uh, you know, th th uh, yesterday my wife and I were showing her uh, some uh, gymnast from UCLA has mm -hmm. made a big stink lately because she keeps getting these perfect scores and these floor routines. Mm -hmm. And one of the ends of her floor routines ended with her doing a double backflip into a, f a split. Yeah, I think I saw this. Right. And, and I just was thinking about now, granted sprung floor, mm -hmm. she's young, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. But Heather, my wife said, Oh my God, it's like those dancers that you showed me. I was like, mm -hmm. yeah, it's like the Nicholas brothers like landed on that, At least, yeah. but they weren't on a sprung floor. No, no. And, um, and also all those films were the, the taps had to be recorded either prior or after. I mean, it was tap syncing yeah. because they didn't have the audio equipment to not have a microphone in the shot to really capture the sound. So you half the time you don't see taps on, on the shoes of, of dancers in these ah, films. Okay, yeah. They're not on a wood surface. They were doing a Foley thing after the fact. Or, yeah, yeah, they had to they had to overdub their own taps. Now, in many cases, when you were watching a white tap dancer in a film in that era, you're listening to a black tap, tap dancer's feet. Interesting. Um, and even like Fred and Ginger Rogers... Uh, most of the time, as far as I know, Ginger Rogers' feet were overdubbed by Hermes Pan, who is, uh, you know, another sort of uh, professional partner of Fred Astaire's. Yeah. Um, and uh, so you're not always hearing the same feet that you're seeing yeah. in these old films. And it, it was oftentimes hard for some of the really great tap dancers to do this because they were imp improvisers. So they would go out and, and they'd film something and now they had to try to piece back together what they did yeah. and record the taps. But that's very hard when when you're... You got to watch you know, it 45 times to so like, oh, wait, yeah. what did I do there? Yeah, oh, exactly. I did the triple bear diddle, whatever. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So 
I don't know if I adequately answered your question, but yeah, I mean, so, but, but it is definitely some of those guys in the twenties and thirties like that, that, that people would look back on and say, yeah, the Nicholas brothers and these guys and, and bubbles, did you say his name? John bubbles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if, if you're lucky, they've heard of John bubbles. Yeah. Um, but the, but the, in the tap world, these are the guys people look back on as like, these are the grandfathers of this whole thing that were like, yeah, when we, when we look at, at, um, sort of the pioneers, um, okay, before there was any footage to be had, there's someone named King Rostis Brown who's credited with kind of inventing the time step, um, and it was more of a flat-footed time step. The, the, the really, like, who we view as the, the Louis Armstrong of our art form yeah. is Bill Robinson, Okay, right? Mr. Bojangles. Bill Robinson was um, a huge, huge figure. He was the highest-paid African-American entertainer of his era. He broke many barriers. Okay, there used to be something in... in uh, vaudeville called the two colored rule which said black performers could not perform solo they had to be at least two um presumably to keep anyone from getting too much clout or becoming too big of a star well bill robinson was the first to break that barrier because his talent was so undeniable yeah. um and a side note about that rule a lot of dances began to crop up that everybody knew um so we have something that we still keep alive today called the bs chorus Okay, and the joke that the old guys would say is, well, what does that stand for? I say, I don't know, but it sure isn't Bachelor of Science. Right, um, yeah. It was BS because it was just a, a chorus, a, a, a sort of a collection of, of not tap cliches, but steps that everybody knew put in a specific order. So if you were a tap dancer, a black tap dancer in a town, uh, a, a city for the night, and you needed a gig, you could grab any other tap dancer that you met, go up to the club owner and say, hey, look, we have a routine. And this was a way of getting around that rule, right? So, yeah. so certain dances cropped up, and now we keep them alive kind of in honor of, in yeah. reverence of that struggle. Yeah. Um, okay, so Bill Robinson, um, first to go solo, highest paid black entertainer. He, he, um, he was the unofficial mayor of Harlem. So back then, neighborhoods had kind of, it's almost like a, maybe what well, we have city advocates now or something sure. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so... During the Depression, if a family was evicted from their apartment, he'd fill their fridge, pay their rent, put them back in their home. If he saw an intersection where he thought it was dangerous because there was no stoplight, he'd pay to have a stoplight put in. He used to wait at the local jail to see if kids came in that he didn't think should be there, and he'd bail them out and take them home. Um, So very significant person, not just as an artist, um, but in society. Now, later in life, got a lot of flack, even from his own people, because he was viewed retrospectively for always being Shirley Temple's butler, okay? Right. And when you start to have a new consciousness around things, especially in the 60s, people didn't want to associate with tap dance uh, because of its historic ties to minstrelsy and, you know. Yeah. Um, but meanwhile, Bill Robinson was had such a, a um, you know, through his his convictions, his courage, and his talent, he was able to really break a lot of barriers down, refuse to wear blackface anymore at some point. Yep. Um, and uh, I even read this one story in his biography because um, he used to carry a gun. Uh, I don't know if it was the NYPD chief of police gave him a gun. He, he would always do benefit concerts for the police department everywhere he went right. because he knew he'd probably get in trouble for gambling. And yeah. then when they'd show up, they'd say, oh, it's Bill, it's fine. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he had this gun and he was traveling through the deep south. I don't know if it was Texas or where it was. And he went to go eat in the dining car and a white couple came in and they demanded that he leave. Well, he pulled the gun on them. 
<laughs> now, if he had been anyone besides Bill Robinson, he probably would not have survived the night. Get thrown off the train, yeah. Right? But when the train stops and the cops come, they see it's him, it's fine. The next time he comes to that town, he's given a police escort, like paraded in. Yeah. Okay, so think about, I mean, he had to be a little crazy to even pull that gun out, but yeah. but definitely to brave. To get a pass from white cops in the South. Yeah, and and just to do that, you know, what kind of message did that send so many people in that town and, and you know so and and tap dancers have all along the way always been agents of social change and 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 um you look at sammy davis jr yeah. um desegregating a lot of theaters yeah. you know um jenny lagan who's the the first uh black woman to have a major contract with mgm um she had a solo tap career in a time when women were generally reg- uh, relegated to chorus lines yeah. and it was thought that they couldn't do the more complicated steps. Of course they could, but they weren't being given the it, the opportunity to showcase. It is interesting though, just sort of like the reanalysis decades later of how these people dealt with their careers. And it's, mm-hmm. you, you think, you know, you're, you're putting on to them in the sixties and seventies. It's like, well, you should have acted this way in the thirties. It's like, I did not have any power in the thirties. Right. Like I was doing the best I could. Mm-hmm. I, I could stand out where I could stand out, but I also had to, play by the rules where I had to play by the rules mm-hmm. or else I'd get killed. Yeah. And it, and then people come and say, well, you know, you weren't brave enough or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, get over yourself, kid. Yeah. yeah. I was there when it was bad, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Hey. It's interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, you know. And I feel like there, there must have been. Progress is messy. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. That must have gone in one direction. Then it kind of comes back where these people are rediscovered. Mm-hmm. Late, late in life. Yeah, you know? I mean, we, we have, we have. What happened to him in the in the long term? Like, when did he pass away? So he passed away. Um, oh, I don't know the year offhand, but um, he was. Uh, I want to look. Can I look it up sure. quick? Because I don't want to get it wrong. <clears throat> did he um, die with some money, or did he die like? So he he generally his his he had three vices in his life generally he was not a drinker he never so that song like mr bojangles that sammy davis jr used to sing was not about bill robinson specifically right he his vices were gambling uh he was a womanizer and vanilla ice cream and those were his three (laughs) main vices and he was not good at holding on to his money um but generally his his wives were in charge of kind of um you know, maintaining some solvency. Yeah. Um, so passed away in 1949, November 25th, born okay. May 25th, 1877, which we celebrate national tap dance day on Bill Robinson's birthday. Every oh, year, interesting. May 25th. Um, his funeral was paid for by Ed Sullivan. Um, and it was a huge parade down, uh, down Broadway from Harlem to battery park. Uh, th- I mean, thousands of people, you know, um, and on the day of his funeral, a lot of the younger, the next generation of tap dancers got together and decided to form a, a, a social club, which is sort of a predecessor to a nonprofit, um, and call themselves the copacetics because that was the term that Bill Robinson had coined. Everything is copacetic. Right. Um, and their mission was to kind of preserve, promote um, the art of tap dance and also do good work in the community. And, and um, uh, the original president of the Copacetics, it wasn't just tap dancers. The original president was Billy Strayhorn. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, and he used to compose the music for their annual show. Uh, he'd have them all over and cook them dinner and everything. Yeah. He was very close with a lot of those tap dancers. Um, 
but yeah, Bill Robinson is like our Louis Armstrong. I mean, he's he's a really significant pioneer. Um, he also, should be worth mentioning that his his most famous dance was his stair dance. That was his vaudeville act, his specialty act, where he had a double sided staircase that he danced up and down. Right. Um, Something that shows up in a lot of movies by mm-hmm. other tap dancers too. I mean, dancing yeah. on stairs seems like it's a whole yeah. A whole well, thing. he was fiercely protective of his routine. He tried unsuccessfully to get a patent put on it. Oh, okay. I think this is pre-copyright. Yeah, um, yeah. And if he heard that there was another dancer in New York doing a stair dance somewhere, he would show up with his gun, and you know, yeah, yeah. Um, because back then, really, if you had your if you had your specialty or if you had certain steps that stood out, that was food in your fridge. You know, yeah. We use this term "stealing steps" in tap, and it's we say it affectionately now. It's sort of the way that this art form progressed was, sure. you know. You take something that you see and then you change a little bit, make it your own. But back in the day, I would imagine that was a pretty serious offense. Um, well, a lot of steps were designed specifically to be hard to steal. So maybe a bunch of sounds are happening while one foot crosses behind the other leg. Oh, interesting. So if you're in the audience and you're a tap dancer trying to snag some information, the the, the person on stage, the more you can disguise what you're yeah. doing, okay, the more that you still have something unique to your name. Sure. Right. Yeah. Tap is an interesting thing from a from an audience point of view because in most other dance it's the movement of the dancers. Mm-hmm. With tap it's the movement of the dancers and also the oral thing of the percussion of the taps. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of this it's it can in some ways if you were deaf and and watching tap you can get something out of it. If you were blind and watch listening to tap you could get something out of it. Mm-hmm. Having both is like another thing. Like you're saying what you see and what you hear might not be obviously it's they're making that sound, but it may not look like they're making that mm. sound. And you're saying some of that was subterfuge on the part of the dancers in order to keep control of their own steps. Yeah, a, 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 definitely a bit of that back yeah. in the day. And and I mean, this is one of the things about tap dance. It's like, um, at least some of the older dancers would say, you, you know, you okay. The dance, I think this is a, Jimmy Slide said this in an interview that, you know, well, you want to you make the audience feel as though they could just get up and do it. Now, of course, they can't. It's very yeah. technical. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a craft. But there's something about that dichotomy of all of these sounds and, and sometimes a frenetic kind of energy orally combined with a relaxed, um, smooth kind of gait and, yeah. and, and you know, movement aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's also interesting to me that in the middle mid 20th century, I mean, if you look at Sammy, you look at Gregory Hines, you look at these guys, tap was one of the many arrows in their quiver. Yeah. You know what I mean? They were song and dance men, right? Who also tapped. Is that kind of where tap seemed to fall in the middle of the century? Like when it came, went out of favor as like this main thing, it was sort of like, oh, we're going to keep this alive as something one chunk of what some uh dancer singer songwriter dance you know somebody song and dance person it's it's one piece of the puzzle Mm -hmm. you know so um you know if you go back far enough people had to be able to do a little bit of everything um a lot of the great jazz drummers knew knew how to tap tap, at least a little bit you know papa joe jones yeah max roach a, a lot of these i mean there's a great video of dizzy gillespie doing a shim sham um, is he any good? Yeah, that's good. I mean, all because they were all around tap dancers all the time, and this is, yeah. is really um, tap is a part of jazz, and jazz is a part of tap. But yeah, um, 
but in terms of the song and dance, really, I think Sammy, people like Sammy kept it in their bag even when it was out of favor, right? And that middle of the century, it was really sort of the dark ages in terms of work for tap dancers. So talking about 50s, 60s into the early 70s, um, and there's a lot of reasons for this. Okay, one, the popular music was changing, yep. and the dance really had grown up with jazz music, so suddenly it's this um, this rock and roll, which is you know pretty simple compared yeah. comparatively, and so certainly hard, rhythmically, yeah, hard for the dancers to adjust to that. Sure, there was a tax put on dancing in clubs as part of the post World War II like recouping money. Really? So so a lot of clubs started to become carpeted. It was no longer profitable for them to have a tap dancer, um, and couple that with now a new consciousness in the civil rights era, what we talked about earlier, where tap dance was viewed as, um, you know, sort of something of the past where, where, and, 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 uh, representing certain kinds of stereotypes that yeah. people wanted to steer away from. Yeah. Okay. So now you have a bunch of tap dancers in their prime and very little work, right? So what did they do? Honey Coles became the stage manager at the Apollo theater. Charlie Atkins became the choreographer for Motown records Okay, so all of those classic Gladys Knight and the Pips, the Temptations, Jackson 5, even work with with uh, young Stevie Wonder. Um, all of these dances, uh, you know, just that idea of like that vo- what they call vocal choreography, sure. right? A singing group um, doing doing choreography that wasn't just like a literal gesture related to the lyrics, but it was its own sophisticated yep. kind of rhythmic movement that goes was designed by to, a tap dancer. Yeah, it goes all the way up to Beyonce today. Yeah, right? exactly. And that's Charlie Atkins' legacy uh, in in that in that arena. Um, and uh, so, okay, so still being cultural influencers, but having to, like we talked about earlier, sometimes things retreat into the body and re-manifest yeah. in a new way. Some dancers. Uh, Jimmy Slide moved to Paris for a while where he was, you know, he's treated better and the art form was still respected. Um, became an important teacher out there as well. Some people, uh, Chuck Green was in and out of a psych ward for about 10 years. Yeah. Leon Collins was cleaning cards, cars for 20 years and, yep. and his new, his friends that he played cards with didn't even know he was a tap dancer. So there's this period of time. Now, a few notable exceptions as far as people who were still in the spotlight tap dancing yep. in this era. You could talk about Sammy Davis Jr. Now, it was the thing about Sammy is he was doing everything in his shows. So it, yeah. it, it sort of still made sense that he would put the shoes on and do something. Do you, can, can I ask you a quick question yeah. about him? Do you also think that there's a certain amount of, uh, I'm doing this show for a, a wide audience for everybody? But I'm going to keep tap in there almost as like a, a signal to the black community that like, oh, I'm still, you know what I mean? Oh, well, like, was there some of that in there too? Sammy got so much flack, um, you know, from all sides. Yeah. But uh, I, if whoever's listening, if you ever get a chance to read his memoir, um, Yes, I Can. It's an amazing read. He was such a brilliant mind. Um, Sammy grew up in show business. Uh, he came up, the The act was called the Will Maston Trio. It was him, his father, and his uncle. And they they couldn't stay in any city too long because of child labor laws. They used to yeah. try to pass him off as a little person. He would do this gruff Louis Armstrong impression, and he had sort of an old man face even at five, seven years old. But if they stayed somewhere too long, they'd get busted for child labor laws. Um, then he was in the army, and... One of the reasons his nose got kind of flattened out is because of all the fights he got in with with white soldiers that he was serving with. Yeah. Um, but also he was putting on shows in the army. Um, uh, now, 
Sammy, there was there's a story that in his memoir where he talks about I don't know if it was in Florida, there was some um some uh like casino or a hotel casino that he was offered uh I don't know, it was a couple months, yeah. right? And he was going to make some exorbitant amount, I don't know, it was 20,000 a week or something yeah. to perform there. And but he wasn't allowed to stay in the hotel. Yeah. And they they you know, he would have to stay across town. Um now out of principle, he refused to do it because he's trying to break this barrier, right? right? And but the way that the black newspaper across town put it out was that twenty thousand a week is not enough for Sammy to stay with his own people. Yeah, right, right, right. right. So this is you the can kind twist of stuff, this stuff any yeah. way you want. Okay, look at there was a, a famous picture where he was hugging Richard Nixon, yep. right? Which he got a lot of flack for. Yeah. The reason he was hugging Nixon is because he was able to get private audience with Nixon and advocate for better treatment of black soldiers in Vietnam because he went over there to entertain and then he met with the black soldiers to ask them what it was like for them came back talked to Nixon they they were he was actually able to create some change in this in this area and that's why he hugged him on stage yeah, it's not yeah, because he supported yeah. him politically yeah. or you know so not white enough for whites not black enough for blacks yeah, like it's it, yeah. everybody's got their thing so yeah. and but in terms of the tap in his in his audience he would use it there, there's a, a clip I love where Sammy is singing Me and My Shadow. And in, in the middle of, after singing the, through the, a chorus, he takes a, a little soft shoe break. It's just a spotlight. Um, might even be mostly on his feet. And he's dancing. And, and in the middle of his tap solo, he goes, two, four, six, eight, we don't want to integrate. And he goes right back into the song. And there's this laughter because he was able to disarm the audience with humor and then drop some information and actually make them think about, the you know, oh, we're in this segregated audience. Meanwhile, his manager is sweating bullets right. backstage. Sammy was getting bomb threats nightly when he was performing. You right. know, so he was, and he talks about this in his memoir too, his, his, um, concerted effort to put racial humor into his act yeah. specifically address these things and talk about them and not just you know what we could say tap dance around yeah. them right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um literally so uh yeah again someone that, that i think um just such a, a forget all the talent and and everything he's able to do just so brave yeah you know and 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 I, I, fearless I, I, really it's funny i see sammy and i see ray charles as kind of similar figures in mm-hmm. that way where in their own worlds they were the people breaking down the barriers going and touring in the south trying to you know mm-hmm. there were these huge national stars yeah and they were trying to use that to actually change things right you know yeah and it's it's very similar and they you know both had their issues whatever it is you know but it's a, a big burden to, yeah you know, of course yeah a, a lot put on their shoulders and sammy was like what five foot four right all that talent in, right. in that tiny frame um no, but, but, uh, but it's, so when you were saying at the beginning where you're talking about uh, the 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 dance in Ireland that was sort of it was given a name in the 70s mm-hmm. just from a academic distinction point of view. Yeah, it wasn't necessarily academic. It was that um, there are these sort of cultural festivals that happen. Okay, and there was going to be one in in Connemara, um, and they already had what was known as Shanno song, old style song, which yeah. is like a solo. Um, acapella song sung in in the irish language and it's sort of meandering very ornamental a lot of verses tells a long story the usual themes you know leaving for america whatever yep um and they wanted to, to give a name to the dance at this festival so that everybody would know oh this is also the local dance and because yep. people already knew shanno's song 
they called it Shannos Dance, so people ah, would know. Okay, okay. Um, uh, the, I mean, the reason I bring it up is that it feels like tap for the first century of its existence mm-hmm. was very much a passed down from person to person, like the knowledge and the tools. And, you know, you were saying, oh, this guy was the mentor to this guy and mm-hmm. this guy tapped to this guy. And, but there must've been a, a period of time. I'm guessing it was the seventies, eighties, something where people started saying, we need to look at this from a historical perspective. We need to start not codifying it, but sort of mm. writing down this history, like kind of looking into it and, and making this more of a formal thing. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? As opposed to, is, am I right on that sort of yeah, era? So, so probably the, the, the biggest, the, the specific example of this would be uh, a book called Jazz Dance, which is by Gene and Marshall Stearns. Um, and it's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm sort of rereading it right now. And they, it almost reads like a requiem a little bit because um, the author, he died just before the resurgence, the big resurgence in the seventies yeah. happened. So for him, he, it was like he was trying to frantically document these stories from all these people before this art form kind of disappeared. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, didn't know that it was going to blossom and 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 continue to to grow and change and all that um, in such a and major, a lot of these guys and, and, and gals major being rediscovered. Way. Yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. Because now in in the okay with with Gregory Hines stardom uh, sort of beginning in the seventies and then. Um, Where did he get discovered? I don't know enough about his origins. Gregory was dancing professional at the age of five. Okay. So, it so was he was a little child prodigy dancing tap. Him and his older brother, Maurice. Okay. So Maurice Hines Jr. And so they were, when Gregory was five and Maurice was seven, they first danced at the Apollo Theater. Um, and that was, and that kind of took off from there. Now they, um, they, they sort of grew up around a lot of people like so uh sandman sims at the apollo theater tap dancer a lot of people would know that he's the one who came out with the hook to bring you out yeah right um and then also their childhood a very important childhood teacher of theirs was a man named henry letang um who when he first saw them he said oh i don't i don't work with kids you know but then he saw how good they were not just cute but really good yeah and so, they so these can, guys were heavies from the old days who kind of had fallen out of favor uh, I don't know if it's a fallen out of favor, or but there wasn't much work. Culture moved know. on and yeah. they were still around. Well, well, and in the case of Henry Letang, you know, tap, one place that tap had sort of continued was in musical theater now, uh, but in, in a very different watered down, we could say gentrified yeah. version yeah. of the art. Right. Um, and, but Henry was an important teacher and on the walls of his studio were pictures of all the people who were working you know, in shows who were students of his. So, um, so there was in certain avenues, I think there was still work to be done if you were teaching tap and and technique for people that were pursuing that. Um, so Gregory and Maurice came up together. First they were the Heinz kids. Then it was Heinz, Heinz and dad, their dad played drums and they were dancing. Um, they were in Broadway shows together, sophisticated ladies, Yubi, um, and then there was a period of time where Gregory moved to California and was like playing drums in a funk band. And, um, and, uh, it was sort of like his hippie era as he described it. And, and then he came back and his dancing really changed a lot. Um, and, and that's when he broke out from his brother. Is his brother still a, was still a guy or was, yeah. He, his, and his brother has continued to be performer and, and yeah. worked in, in musical theater and lots of areas. But Gregory, Gregory, 
I mean, obviously became a movie star. He, you know, yeah. uh, he had a, a solo album that he recorded. He had a yeah. duet with Luther Vandross. You know, he was... He, he made won, White Knights. He, he made White Knights with Barishnikov. <laughs> you know what? You know. The dancing in that movie is still so fucking yeah. good. Oh, it's yeah. It's so good. Amazing. And and um, and he won a Tony for Best Actor in Jelly's yeah. Last Jam, playing yeah. Jelly Roll Morton. Um, Gregory was a, a very galvanizing force for Tat, and he was a hugely inclusive character now this i'm going to touch back on he's, he's the guy tap needed at the right time yeah absolutely yeah and and not only that he was an innovator he was a modernizer of the art form especially in the rhythmic phrasing of the dance where prior all it was really swing time right, right. with a lot of the old guys right right or what we would call close to the floor rhythm like very fast 30 second notes especially dancers from philadelphia were kind of known for that now, Gregory, after his time, you know, pl- playing as a drummer, he also studied West African dance. He studied karate. He had a, a different kind of a l- other movement um, material grafted onto him. And s- he he's put this like straight funk feel on the dance. Right. It really hadn't been heard before in tap. So not just the right person, right personality at the right time, but also a, a really a huge innovator. Were there people in the tap world at the time who were just like, what are you doing? You're messing with stuff that... Is I don't think so. With? Well, I wasn't there, so yeah, it's yeah, hard yeah, for yeah. me to, to say definitively, but I think people were excited. First of all, Gregory was spectacular, and he was steeped in the tradition, so they all, it's not like... Yeah. He respected all those guys yeah. and learned from all these people. And I think there was an excitement around the fact that he was bringing a new spotlight, a new attention to it, um, and, and people no, were able to now, now that here's, okay, here's an image of, of someone that's not the butler to Shirley Temple. Right. Yeah. And, and okay. He's not always wearing like a, a tuxedo. He's, he's wearing a muscle shirt. He's got an earring and he's dancing to current music and, um, you know, and not only that, but Gregory was so keen on always speaking the names of his mentors and his teachers yeah. and bringing them along, yeah. like in, in the Cotton Club movie or in, yeah. in the movie Tap, you know, always bringing these yeah. people along. So he it, saw himself as the latest guy in a long line of people I'm sure, that everyone yeah. should remember. And he always said in his heart of heart, he was a tap dancer. And that's everything else that he did grew out of his love from that. Yeah. Um, and get back to something that I think is very at the start of this conversation, yeah, you mentioned um the idea of orthodoxy yeah, right yeah. which we've sort of come back to now gregory um there's a great clip of him accepting the first annual hoofers award um and he he talks in there um he said uh, you know i want to dedicate this award to the unity uh and the non-judgmental energy that we have as tap dancers because we do not judge each other we love each other this is this isn't something where you have to dance the way someone else dances or you have to you have to tap the way tap must be tapped no if you want it we want you if you have a pair of tap shoes on you're in and that was his you know his expression yeah. yeah so and that was really uh you know now when i think about where we're at and various factions and things like that um, those, there's those still words, some of that going on. There's stuff oh, going sure. on. Like, yeah. and, and those words really ring so true. And it, and it was just such a loss yeah. when, when he passed, yeah. you know, we're, we're not so big of a community that we can afford to ostracize people that don't that's fit how, into whatever. That's how I feel yeah. is that there's not enough where we need to be growing the pie for everybody, not yeah. trying to take the whole pie. Yeah. And yeah. you know, there, so the, 
I'm friends with a bunch of people in the Paul Taylor company, mm-hmm. the modern dance. And Paul passed away last year. Right. And they recently had a memorial show for him at Lincoln mm-hmm. Center. And uh, Michael Novak, the new artistic director, came out and gave a little speech mm-hmm. between one of the tunes, uh, one of the pieces. And he basically said, listen, you know, all of these people we look at, we look at Paul and you look at, you know, uh, um, um, uh, Cunningham and you look at, you know, all these mm-hmm. all these modern dance people from the mid-century these people were scary to dance. Like this was something new mm-hmm. and exciting. And these people were rebels and they were renegades. Mm-hmm. And here we need to do that again. Mm. We can't sit back on our laurels. Yeah. You know, in the same way that I'm sure there are tap dancers like, yeah, look, dude, you can tap, but those steps are from a hundred years ago. Yeah. Like we can have those, but this thing needs to adapt. Yeah. It's not, this is not a museum. Right. It's, it's, in order for a tradition to be alive, it's always changing. Yeah. It, that makes know. a lot of people uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's also there's also something to be said for there's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. A shuffle is a shuffle is a shuffle. It yep, has yep. been for centuries now. But um, but that were true. Nothing I, would change. So there's yeah, got to be something right. gets if, in there. The, if I teach you something in, in a class, by the time you and I have left the room, it should already have changed. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, 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 now... It might feel currently that that process is happening a little too fast because of uh, the internet and stuff like that, or maybe that's what gets people a little uptight. I'm not sure, but I do think that we can't bicker all that much when we, there's such little institutional support. Where yeah. you know, there's like dance is already at the bottom of the arts hierarchy in this country, and then tap is at the bottom of the dance hierarchy. Yeah. So, okay, well, that's one thing I want to ask. Why is it that people have? massive respect for ballet mm-hmm. you're i'm talking the average person i'm not talking about whatever yeah. it is but like people don't think about tap on the same level as ballet race why is it you think it's just race yes okay in terms of its history i mean ballet comes from europe uh so it's always been given a different pedestal yeah. right um and and tap has been for so often been treated as if it's only able to be this expression of exuberance yeah right um when this thing has been sophisticated for forever, yeah, you know, you're looking at, um, okay, talk about baby Lawrence, who is like the bebop tap dancer who was in Charles Mingus's band when Mingus had a keyboard player that was always late. He fired him and hired baby instead. And baby was the guy who was dancing with bird and dizzy and all this. I mean, yeah. um, you know, look at, uh, the routines of Leon Collins. I mean, all of these amazing dancers tap, tap can make you cry, make you laugh, make you think, make you, um, uh, relaxed. I mean, it is, you know, it's fully capable of, of a full range of expression. Yeah. Um, and honestly, it's, it's not easy. And, and when I, when, you know, there's always this notion in, in the dance world that, oh, everyone needs to take ballet because that's the foundation of everything. Okay. Uh, you know, we're talking about say, we're talking about tap. yeah well well we're talking about two you wouldn't apply the same rules of classical music to the blues and vice versa okay yeah first position in ballet does not make sense almost ever in tap dance and and culturally they come from different spaces they they carry different experiences um, and so it's not all transferable there's yeah. plenty that is but that is a two way street yeah. because you know. People need dancers need to learn how to count. Yeah, 
And they should be in tap class for that. Yeah. The, you know, the the, it, the it rhythmic is, nuance, what we're doing is not simple. And, um, no. you know, and, and most, uh, you know, dancers in other genres don't, maybe don't. Uh, I, I think just, dancers in a lot of genres need to learn how to land on the beat, <laughs> which is something I noticed where tap, that's sort of the, by definition, you are at some sort of time. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, but it, it yeah, no, the whole thing is fascinating to me. The way, the way, the respect that people have for particular art forms. Like, how old were you when you got into tap? Three, two and Three. a half, maybe, yeah. How, from where? How did that happen? Um, I have two older sisters, and they were taking class at the local studio, and it was right. kind of like, entire. instead of hiring a babysitter, I would tag along. Right. My mom was teaching some classes at, at the studio at the time, so she was actually my first tap teacher. Your mom my, d- my was mom, a tap dancer? Yeah. Well, she's not professionally, but she... She was you a know, general dancer. She also she did taught tap. the little kids. She wasn't a, ever a dancer professionally, but she, you know, she danced growing up, and so she also taught uh, like classes for the little little kids at the studio. Um, she still takes adult tap classes now. She's sixty eight, um, <laughs> and she's got a whole group of friends, yeah. women that she's been dancing with for years um, at a local studio. But but it clicked with you very very young. I don't really remember ever not tap dancing. And w- was there a time? Because I, I, there are a lot of people who, oh, yeah, you know, I, I played baseball when I was younger. And then there was a time when I was in high school where I kind of fell out of it. And then I rediscovered it later. Mm-hmm. Was there ever a sort of a down period in your life when it came to tap? There was, was like t- one year, and I don't remember how old I was. I was a little kid um, where I think my, my parents put me in T-ball for a year. It was like, well, let's see if he likes sports. Just try it for a year. And I was mostly just chasing butterflies in the outfield and really bored. And I think I said, oh, I, I want to go back to dance class. And I said, okay. So after that, they you know, went, back went to right tap. back. Yeah. I wasn't just, I, I was taking ballet and jazz and tap growing yeah. up. It wasn't, but tap was always the main thing. It's interesting though, that when you said about tap, that tap, it, it, the experience is was different. Like the experience behind the dance mm-hmm. is different between these different art forms. You talk about tap that way. I think a lot of people talk about jazz music that way. Mm-hmm. That 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 the experience of the people who made it is imbued in the steps. Sure. Yeah, in uh, arguably in a way more so than a lot of other dance forms. Um, I mean, I yeah, I'm just I'm not an expert enough on yeah, other yeah, dance yeah. forms no, to no, speak of to course that. Not, but, but um, but it's you know you're talking part of the conversation traditionally part of the conversation when it comes to tap yeah because you you have to understand that people who were who were progressing this art form and innovating it and carrying it forth had to deal with some of the most onerous conditions yeah not being allowed to walk in the front door of the space they're performing have to having to climb up the fire escape and go through the kitchen because if if a white patrons saw them walking through the front door they wouldn't attend the show you know i got to spend a day with bunny briggs uh was one of the late great masters um this about nine years ago i was in vegas um to perform on the jerry lewis telethon and bunny was 88 at the time and we spent the troupe that i was with uh called cats paying dues uh andrew nemmer who's my one of my tap mentors and and he was the director of it. Anyway, we all went to spend the day with bunny and he told us about having to climb in a fire escape and you know, um, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever get any crap for being a white guy doing tap? No. Within the, within the community, like no one's ever just like, listen, buddy, like, no. And if I did, it pales in comparison to absolutely. I'm just, I'm just wondering. Yeah. What, um, there's, I already have, 
uh, an unfair societal advantage. You know, my whole thing is, um, okay, if I'm doing this for a living and I, I had a seat at the table at birth, I need to be using what I've learned and what, what people who didn't have a seat at the table at birth have instilled in me and, and were generous enough and trusting enough to share information with me. I have to use this information to build more seats for other people. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, so who are the innovators in tap now other than yourself? Oh, I, I would not put myself in that category, but, um, (laughs) okay. So I, I also noticed, and this is also probably a racial thing and a misogynistic thing, not a lot of women in the, it, I'm sure there are women strewn throughout the history of tap, mm-hmm. but all the big people people talk about are generally men. Yes. Can I, can I take a moment to talk about that first? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So, um, because it is women's history month and, uh, there are so, there's so many amazing women tap dancers throughout history. And oftentimes, you know, they had to dumb down their dancing for, because otherwise the, the didn't make the guy look bad yeah exactly i mean there yeah. would be okay at at the cotton club or at the the apollo they had like the apollo had the greatest chorus line of, of women dancers in the, in the country assembled and um but the men would be the specialty acts that would come in now the women knew how to do all of those specialty acts all those different tap acts but you know those guys wouldn't get work if if they were showing them up and the women it was sort of expected that they did simpler steps you know that that they didn't have the um, the presence to hold an audience's yeah. attention or something they like that. They would go out later and dance the fancy steps. Yeah, for I mean, but but these were killer dancers. And, yeah. And so, um, someone who we talk about a lot is Jenny Lagan, who I mentioned earlier, and she lived to be ninety six or something. I don't know. She lived. That's she lived a good a long, long life. Maybe maybe in her nineties. I can't remember exactly how old. There's a documentary about her called "Living in a Great Big Way," um, and you know, she, she partnered with Bill Robinson on, on screen also. Um, but there's lots of other people we should talk about. Um, Alice Whitman, who had the Whitman sisters, was a female run like vaudeville, uh, act, uh, Lois Bright, who danced with the Miller brothers. And she was just credited as it was like the Miller brothers and Lois. Um, and she had, she would, she had to dress like in a suit, you know, um, she had to fit in with whatever yeah. they were doing. Yeah. Um, and then, okay, we could look at someone named Cora Lored, who was a soubrette in the cor- the Cotton Club chorus line. A soubrette was sort of the lead dancer of the chorus line who sometimes would step out and do an extra little solo or moment. Um, there's a great clip of her that exists on YouTube. You see of her dancing, just spectacular um, tap dancing. Juanita Pitts, uh, Marion Coles, who's the wife of Honey Coles. Um, uh, you know, so, so many incredible dancers. Now I'm, I'm talking about the same era of a lot of those older tap dancer, the men that I mentioned earlier. Right. So just to give that other kind of understanding, there was a, a duo. I just, I'm excited. I just picked up a book. I haven't started reading it yet, but salt and pepper were a, a, a duo, um, female African-American tap dance duo, um, that, uh, that had some, some success and, and, you know, performed at the Apollo a lot. And, um, so I'm excited to read about their story because I didn't know about them before. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they not for, it's not for lack of ability or or talent or skill yeah. set. It's just lack of opportunity and you just know. the social structure of right. the way it was back yeah. in the day. Yeah. And it. Um, so okay, then you cut to in the in the 70s, in and and in that stretch of time where um, 
there was less work for tap and when it's starting to grow again in the 70s um there was a a, a sort of a, a group of women not i mean that was operating individually but in this time period who some of them came from a modern dance background and they were a little jaded with the downtown scene and all this and they were looking for some other um you know ways of expressing things and they they sort of came upon tap and started to realize that a lot of these old masters were still around um and started to seek out their tutelage and yeah. um and they became important uh, in that sort of lost generation of tap there there's there's a sort of a group of them who were you know um uh Brenda Buffalino, Jane Goldberg, um uh Asia Gray who founded Tapestry in Austin, Texas, and Diane Walker is is someone that we talk about a lot. She's we call her Lady Di or Aunt Diane. She's like our griot. Um, would be like a female contemporary of Gregory Hines. Yep. And her mentor was Leon Collins in Boston. Yeah. Um, I've had the chance to to study with her, which, and she's just, um, you know, really amazing repository of rhythm and, and stories. And um, so... Uh, it definitely I feels like a very storied culture. Yeah. The whole thing. Oh, for sure. And yeah. and like you talk, you touched on lineage earlier, and and and, and being passed down person to person. I yeah. mean, that's really a significant thing. Is like where do you, where do you track your lineage? And and um, we all are are very aware of who our teachers, teachers, teachers were. You know. Yeah. So um, and then we teach. We all teach. You know. To right. so so we're I I make sure to that the people, the kids I teach know about this too yeah. and know where they're checking in, in terms of lineage. A lot of the kids that you teach, are they strictly tap dancers? Or are they just like, Oh, we do hip hop dancing. We do, you know, different kinds of dancing. And like, we also want to mix tap in with that. So I service a lot of different needs in a week in terms of my teaching and a lot of different ages. So I'm an adjunct professor at Montclair state university. So I'm working with college kids. Um, I teach, for Alvin Ailey for the arts and ed department. So I, I go into the public schools and do residencies. So I'm at a, a school in Clinton Hill. Uh, every Wednesday I teach the entire fifth grade, five classes of fifth graders. Um, and most of them have never done tap dancing before. Uh, and I'm there October through June. Um, some of them do take dance outside of school, but Alvin Ailey has a teaching artist for every grade at that elementary school. And each grade studies a different style of dance. Um, so they would be exposed to lots of different things throughout their time in elementary school. Um, then I, I teach at a, a spot called Edge School of the Arts, which is in Jamaica, Queens. And there, those are more serious-minded. That's more like a studio, so this is what they do at night. And they study all different types of dance. And I've been fortunate enough to work with some of the kids there five, six years now, teenagers, and, and it's been great to watch them grow. And then I teach public classes at Steps on Broadway, so that's more pre-professional or, you know, people coming in, take a drop-in class. People who to, need to learn how to tap so they can be in a chorus on Broadway kind of stuff? It varies. It, <laughs> yeah. it varies. There's some people that are doing it as a hobby, some people who are, yes, they're trying to brush up their skills for an audition, some people who are trying to live as a, ta- want, you know, not not from a musical theater perspective, but want to be want a tap dancer. want some of those millions of dollars that you tap dancers are making. <laughs> this is a, it's so funny because I was just having, we had a meeting at Steps recently i don't even know if i should go into all this but um just talking about marketing and 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 what we can do to boost enrollment and they they just they've 
the last couple weeks, they've been taking time to film each one of us on faculty, a little like minute long class promo. Yep. Right. Um, and I was having a conversation with one of my colleagues at steps and after the meeting and saying like, I don't know, you know, in terms of, cause the musical theater tap classes are packed. Yeah. Right. And you know, I'll try not to get, I'll try to be fairly diplomatic here and, you know, cause I don't think too much about that stuff. I mean, I don't think too highly about quote unquote musical theater tap, but you think it's classes- sort of a dance appropriation? Oh, absolutely. Okay. All right. We yeah. can get into that later if you want. Go so, ahead. um, and not just that, it's super simplified version of, of sure. the art form. So, um, but those classes are packed and I know why, because there are actual jobs in musical theater. So sure. if you're trying to you learn something, that's going to get you some money. Where are the jobs that people see to come and learn what we call rhythm tap or hoofing or, you know, or what we would consider just tap dancing. Sure. Um, and, and I was saying to, to my friend, I said, these are the jobs. Teaching at steps is the job. Yeah. We're doing the job. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's hard to boost enrollment or to get people to spend their hard-earned money on a class when at the end of the day... The only thing you do is teach the class. Yeah. Well, it's not just that. I mean, but to make the money. Yeah. We, we have to create our own work all the time. Sure. Yeah. And this is why I think we need this all-hands-on-deck kind of yeah. uh, approach. We need to be more present in academia in a meaningful way. We need to be in... Uh, more Gotta present kids in, young. in jazz clubs. We need guess get the kids young. We need to be um, in commercial dance. We need to be on the concert dance stage. Yeah. Um, but even a know, guy like that, Luke, being yeah. on stage with Harry, as I mean, Harry yeah. plays to three thousand people a night yeah. or whatever it is. Like yeah. that. I mean, that might be the first, the only time anybody in the audience, most of the audience, has seen somebody tap dancing live in front of them. For sure, and the guy can dance. Mm-hmm. So, like, th- just that kind of exposure is a big deal. Absolutely, in the tap world. that's yeah. what I found with postmodern jukebox yep um you know when we first were starting that um out of scott bradley's basement apartment in queens um and it started to get a lot of views and and i and i felt sheepish in the beginning um when these videos that we would shoot would suddenly be hundreds of thousands of views because i'm looking at my mentors and the people that i really admired and their Facebook page. And at the time, maybe they had 300 followers or something. I said, this, this is messed up. This you know? is completely incongruous. And, yeah. and, and I, I felt strange about it. Um, also because it was it, in those early days, it was pretty frantic the way we would do the videos and we might just do a handful of takes really quick. And they just, they'd pick a take and maybe I was still like learning the arrangement at the time. So I didn't always feel like it was my best performance and there was no room cause we were crammed in. Um, but his whole ethos was just to put out as much content as possible as quickly as possible. So yep. not, not as much focused on quality. Doesn't need to be perfect. Right. But I, I was like feeling sheepish about this and, and it wasn't until Derek Grant, who's one of my teachers and one of the people, when I get to all the innovators and important dancers today, he's one of them. Um, he just commented on, on, a, on, I don't know if it was on my Instagram. He just, this bunch of years ago. And he said, Love what you're doing with the ba- with the band, man. Keep it up. And it was like, I, I, I wasn't expecting it. Suddenly yeah. I felt like I had feet to stand on, yeah. you know. And and then I, I began to think about like, oh, I could see what that would mean for my teachers to see, oh, here's a new spotlight yeah. for the art form, you know. It's exposure and, on the art form. Yeah. Like there's no, it's like there's no, yeah. it's like no bad press. Sort and of that, thing. and that project has grown now to the point where it's basically franchised. It's like blue man group. There's multiple tours happening on multiple continents at the same time. Yeah. I'm so 
you know, I mean, I come in and out. I'm I'm not totally involved anymore, but I I'm so thrilled that it's work for many different tap dancers. Every tour has a tap dancer. Isn't it interesting you know? though that 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 and the Harry stuff and all the rest of it is very much sort of a nouveau version of an art form that people weren't really like the kind of music in, mm-hmm. in, in the postmodern stuff is music that people knew, but they weren't listening to. And we repackage it yeah, and you sell it again and people suddenly want it. Why didn't they want the original Yeah, two years before? Yeah. Yeah. Like that's the thing that I, and not, not that it's wrong. I just, it's like, I don't understand the psychology mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. Well, I, it, in the beginning, I, it was interesting. Like the very first tour that we did, we all piled into a sprinter van in Astoria and drove up to Toronto um, to start this sort of rinky dink tour. And we didn't know who the fans were because at the time it was a YouTube thing that went viral. So we would just see numbers and clicks and we'd show up and it, just to clarify, postmodern jukebox takes contemporary pop songs and reimagines them in older jazz yeah. and, and sometimes Motown and different styles. Kind of makes, yeah. Yeah. And, um, we showed up and it's like the whole audience is in vintage gowns and tuxedos. And yeah. it was like the Comic-Con of cover bands, right? So yeah. it, A little it, bit of like the swing kind of people. Yeah. Like, is that some of right. that in there? Some, some of that, depending on the city, if there is a scene for that. Like Montreal, there was the first time we played there, there was a ton of Lindy Hop dancers in the audience. Um, so I think that's where it, it started because it was this sort of quirky New York underground kind of thing Yeah. Um, in terms of how it started to generate a fan base. Now I think it's, it, it's more broadly palatable to people, but um, in the beginning it was people who were maybe interested in unusual. Is something being broadly palatable, a negative thing? I, when you, when you walked in the door, you sat down, you're reading your, your, your uh, banana, banana bread. bread. Yeah. And I said that I asked you a question. I forget why it came up. Oh, I was talking about Bob Mould and Husker Du mm-hmm. and how people, will list them as one of their, you know, big inspirations. A lot of people don't know who Skirdu, but they know a lot of the bands that see who Skirdu as their progenitor. Mm-hmm. And I asked you whether you'd rather be the guy or the guy that inspired the guy. Yeah, I'd rather be the guy that inspired the guy. Okay. Um, Even if it meant less quote unquote success yeah in the world like people don't know who you are you didn't make a lot of money but you were the person that inspired a whole generation of people you'd rather be that guy for sure yeah yeah um uh yeah i mean i don't know it's like it's a from a legacy point of view is that is that what it is i don't know if it's like i want to be one of the guys people talk about in that in that lineage that we were talking about before no it's not it's not even about because then that would be sort of coming back to wanting it's not it's not really about recognition as much as just the work itself is important and that's what i find most motivating yeah is just to do good work and you know if I made good work that people inside my community thought was good enough to inspire them, mm-hmm. then that's the best success I can have. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny because there, there really are a lot of commonalities. Even when you were talking about how, you know, you're teaching people who are going to end probably a lot of them are going to end up teaching other people. Mm-hmm. It's a very similar in the photo world with a lot of guys who maybe are not getting the work that they used to get or whatever. There's the, they're like a bunch of old timers who are like serious heavies in what they mm-hmm. do. And what do they do? They start doing workshops and Mm -hmm. classes and give talks and whatever it is, which is fine. 
but really you're just educating another generation of people who, if there wasn't work for you in that specific genre of say photography, mm-hmm. there probably won't be for these people either. So it's this interesting, it's artistically not, not the end of the road, but sometimes it feels economically like we got to find another way out of this. Yeah. It feels like a cul-de-sac. Yeah. You know, and, and like, and, and, and we in, in photography are trying to figure out the same mm-hmm. way out of there. Yeah. You know, is it turning around, going the other direction right. or is it tearing through the woods? Right. You know, I don't know what the answer is. Yeah. I don't know either. I know. I, I think artistically tap is constantly expanding and growing yeah. and changing. And, and I mean, kids are, kids technique at an early age is pretty amazing now. Um, but it's what's not keeping up pace with that is the work. Yeah. Um, but there are, I think, um, reasons for optimism and, sure. and, and, you sure. know, and maybe now's the time to talk about the, the sort of innovators and important yeah. people who's, now. Who's doing, and let me ask you a know. question before you get into that. Yeah. If you go to a studio and you're hanging out with somebody who's a peer of yours, like, mm-hmm. Hey man, let's get together and do a thing. Mm-hmm. You walk in the door. Do you guys ever say, man, did you see the video of so-and-so doing such and such? Is that, is that, you know what I mean? Is because you were saying that video and YouTube and the internet mm-hmm. are sort of accelerating the pace of change in tap. Mm-hmm. Is it the kind of thing where people inside the community will all glom onto something? Something will become quote unquote viral within the tap community of, mm. Oh, do you see that routine that someone so did on that video? And like, there was this cool step in there. Let's try to figure that out and maybe work from that. Sometimes. I don't know if it as much of like, let's try to figure out that step from that video, but definitely just giving props when props are due and, okay. and yeah. you know, um, especially I think, uh, so, some of us who are, you know, 30 plus we get, we can get pretty excited about like the next generation down when they do something great. It's like, it, it's, yeah. Do you see this 14 year old kid? Yeah. It can be exciting. Um, sorry, innovators. So, uh, innovators, um, there's, yeah, a lot of a lot of important people doing important work. Um many of whom I've been really fortunate to learn from. Um uh okay, so Derek Grant I mentioned earlier, um and his lineage would be Diane Walker as his childhood teacher who learned from Leon Collins, you know. Um Derek is from Boston, so then there's a specific legacy of tap in Boston. Because um, of the Irish contingent? No, not not <clears throat> I don't, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that. It's just, um, this is the lineage I'm talking about maybe starts later than, okay. um, but, um, just some very significant tap dancers ended, up, come in, out of Boston. ended up in Boston. Yeah. yeah. came out of Boston. Um, and Derek is, um, he is super inventive and, and playful in his dancing. Very spontaneous and, and also, able to kind of imbue humor into what he's doing from time to time, not in a, in a gimmicky way at all. It's just his vibe is very inviting. I find watching and listening, um, laid back. He, for, for, a a man and, and, and he's a, you know, taller guy, I mean, bigger frame guy. He, he has so much grace and lightness available in his dancing as well as power. I think we got to a place in the nineties where, things got very heavy with the dancing and very testosterone driven for a while. And, um, became about power. Yeah. Something like that. And, and, um, not that there's anything wrong with exploring, you know, that, but Derek to me has that 
that balance of, of strength and, and grace at all times and, um, and really can dress a stage. He, you know, he, he moves about the whole space and, um, and just, I love his phrasing. I love, um, there's a deepness, there's a depth to his dancing. Um, one of the things about lineage too, tap dancers are often quoting steps from the greats, Yeah, but switch, you know, um, not quoting exactly, but quoting in a way that it's enough of the original for you to know what they're referencing. Um, you know, like a lick in a jazz thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and sometimes it's the song choice that triggers the, the dance choice or it's, or, or vice versa. And, um, but there's just so much depth when I watch Derek's dancing. Um, and, uh, he does, he does a really, I mean, take the A train is sort of a very overused song, but he does a version of it. That's kind of melancholy. Um, a little bit of a, more of a ballad kind of version. And, uh, the places he goes when he does it, it's, um, you know, and I, I see him pulling out steps, um, that would have come from by way of Diane and by way of Leon, but his, his take on it through today's energy. Um, uh, and I also, when he's doing that tune, it makes me think of Billy Strayhorn and the copacetics, you know? And so there's all these layers that you see, um, Okay, so that's Derek. Dormisha Sumbri Edwards, probably my favorite current tap dancer. Um, also would have learned from Diane Walker and 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 danced with Derek from a very early age. And yeah. um uh Dormisha um there there was a a little while back that I'm I'm gonna get into someone named Michelle Dorrance in a minute, but Michelle Dormisha and Derek co-choreographed this show called the blues project. And the music was all done by Toshi Regan and her band big lovely. And, um, they did a performance of this at the Jacobs pillow festival. And there was a talk back afterwards. And, um, the, the, uh, MC of the talk back, she asked each dancer to describe the other two dancers. And, um, and when they are talking about Dormisha, Derek says, well, she gives me nightmares because I'm lazy and she keeps me up at night. Cause I know when I'm like laying on the couch, she's in the studio shedding. Yeah. So it's not just the talent she was born with, but she works so hard. Yeah, sure. And then Michelle said, Dormisha is the closest thing we have to a, a prima ballerina in our art form. Yeah. Where when a, a prima ballerina does a tondu, you say, that's exactly how a tondu is supposed to be done. Yeah. When Dormisha does a shuffle, that's exactly it's how it's craft supposed excellence. to be done. Yeah. 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 Um, Dormisha's musicality, her um, invention, her um uh ability to kind of shape and lead an arrangement with musicians in the moment it's just unsurpassed you know, she's just an incredible she incredible live? musician uh she's i don't know if her house is in jersey but she's local she's you know okay um she she's has a uh weekly workshop that she's putting on this month called ladies in the shoe and each each for women's history month there's a three-hour workshop each week from a different uh woman so diane walkers was last week next week is michelle dorrance then Iodeli cassell and then um alexandria Brene bradley so um so dormisha and uh dormisha and derek and another guy jason samuel smith work together a lot and they um they had a show little a couple years back called and still you must swing which is a jimmy slide quote um okay dormisha is spectacular um michelle dorrance is is doing very important work 
in the concert dance world with tap. So Michelle was the first tap dancer to receive a MacArthur uh, Award, the Genius Grant, sure. a, f- a few years back. Um, and she's a fierce advocate for the art form. She's, um, I think, um, people in the larger dance community have connected with her work because of her choreographic vision and, and the way that she kind of sh- shapes pictures on a stage, but using tap. Um, so that's one avenue where I think there's, you know, optimism to be had in terms of the growth of tap, at least in, in terms of a broader audience seeing it in a new light. Now, hopefully that leads to more companies and more artists also being featured. And hopefully there's not only room for one company, but Michelle is a, a you know, amazing, amazing artist and, and choreographer and her company Doran Stance is, is great. So many of my friends are in that and, um, they do a lot of site specific work too. They've, they've done a couple things at the Guggenheim now in the rotunda and, um, just did something at one of the BAM spaces recently. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. Iadeli Cassell, I mentioned earlier. Um, uh, just, um, great, um, soloist, great educator, um, activist through her art. Um, doing a lot of fundraisers like specifically for the hurricane in Puerto Rico more recently, which her, her family's there. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many, I'll, I'll just throw out some names too, cause I could go on and on about everybody, but <laughs> Jason Samuel Smith, Andrew Nemmer, um, uh, Bakari Wilder, um, uh, obviously, I didn't even talk about Savion Glover, but sure, we, you know well, he's we, been around we, for yeah, three decades, right? Um, you know, he, is he still doing innovative stuff? Uh, well, sure. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know how much I want to. <laughs> no, that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. He, he, yes. I mean, Savion obviously is like hell of a dancer. He's the star. Well, not just that. I mean, there's kind of like before Savion and after Savion in terms sure. of the art form. You know, he really was so steeped in this tradition and learned from all of these old masters and, and Gregory was like his father figure. And yeah. when, when Savion did bring the noise, bring the funk in the nineties, what the, the things, the experience that that show is able to articulate for a Broadway audience. I mean, that was amazing, you know, and, and kind of fearless that that, that was put together. And, um, and he also, he, from where Gregory had started to innovate and change things, Savion took it and ran with it, you know, yeah. and, um, there's so many of us who wouldn't. Have so in some probably, ways he's part of, the, he's now far enough down the line though, even though he's still dancing, he's, he's already a legend yeah, within the oh, world. Sure. Right? I mean, I, th- I think of Savion a little bit like Miles Davis in that so many of the next young, important innovators all kind of came through played, yeah, his tutelage. His band, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, you, you said that all these guys have acts, right? How much of, of, a performance somebody's doing is a performance of something that's been choreographed before and how much is, is, is improvised in the moment. Yeah. So, um, it, I mean, it totally depends on the gig. Sometimes sure, they're sure. Yeah, presenting yeah. a show with choreography, but even in those settings, there's often plenty of improvisation within sure. the show. But when these people are soloing, it's, it's improvisation. It's all improvisation. Yeah. Okay. So, and, and that happens at a pretty, at a pretty microscopic level in tap dance, you know, um, in the same way as jazz. Now there are certain 
idioms and, and certain phrases that we might throw out, quotes, things like that. Gregory Hines had coined the phrase improvography to describe his dancing. So sort of, um, you know, maybe he maybe he uses a step that he knows to trigger him to then explore sure. somewhere. Yeah, or course. maybe he's dancing for a while and he reaches a point where he's not sure where to go next and he yeah. has a step that he can pull out of his pocket to and fall back And there's videos on. I've seen of you dancing where mm-hmm. it's like, okay, we're just going to see what happens in the next three minutes. You yeah. Know? Oh, totally. And, and some of those are beautiful, by the way. There's like one in particular that I'll have to find that I'll have to put in the show notes. Um, it's It's... You know what we'll do? Uh, we'll, 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 we'll get your, uh, well, first of all, you have a show on Monday. So if anybody's in New oh, York yeah. and listens to this between now and Monday, cause I'm going to try to get it up tonight. Uh, where's the show? What time? It's at La Mama theater, uh, in the East village. I think it's, um, let me get the address. I want to say it's 66 East fourth street. Okay. Um, seven thirty PM on March 11th. Uh, at the downstairs space. It's part of their monthly series called Poetry Electric. You got to buy tickets beforehand. I think you can buy at the door, but it's also available at lamama.org slash beats, B-E-A-T-S. Um, the door fee expensive? It's, uh, I think it's the same. It's $10 ticket. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, there might be like a $1 service charge or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, Okay, okay. Um, and that is a, an evening of spoken word poetry, tap dance, and jazz. Yeah. Uh, one poet... A, really good friend of mine. I mean, everyone performing are good friends of mine, but Daniel Carlton is the poet. Um, and then we have, a two musicians, Steve Whipple on bass, Shara Hassan on piano, and then four tap dancers, including myself. So, uh, CK Edwards, Liberty styles and Naomi Funaki are the other tap dancers. And you do the, you also do the, you still do the Tuesday videos. Uh, have, it's been a, been a minute since I did that regularly. Um, so yeah, I, a while back, this is almost, is it like five years almost? It's been that long you do? Since I first posted the first one. Um, I like it. it been longer? Yeah, it's called Time Step Tuesday. A time step is, um, traditionally there were as many time steps as there were tap dancers. So a time step was like a repetitive step meant to set the time for the band, uh, set the groove. Um, and it's, it's also like a signature step, yeah. right? And generally these were structured as what we call three in a break or like A-A-A-B or A-A-B-A. Um, so maybe you do a, the step on one side, like on, on your right foot for this, for audience left. And then you repeat the step on the other foot for audience right. Then you send it out to the rafters the third time. And then you do the break for the band to help them count in when they start. And once that's, once the band's in, then you go into your improvisation or your routine or whatever. Gotcha. Okay. So it, I, th- when I started posting time step Tuesday, the idea was like, it's like writing a haiku every week, right? You have yep. a, a very basic structure and a lot of possibilities within that. So I would just do a new three and a break every week. Um, and I was doing it pretty diligently weekly for a while, but I also used to live on the first floor in an apartment in Sunnyside with no one below me. So I could get away with doing it at home. Now I'm on the second floor and we have, uh, broom hilda below us who oh, really hit the ceiling with a broom if we make too much sound so, so you got to do it with the studio when you're at a studio yeah because exactly. sometimes you do that when you do videos with friends you'll just set up your phone or whatever it is and like yeah shoot you do guys it in a studio around. or, or yeah. sometimes i'll get i'll teach a time step to my students and have them do it or yeah that's by the know. way adorable sometimes oh thank yeah. you <laughs> um so yeah but i mean it, it was when i first did it when i first started i was fresh home from grad school i was sort of not sure what i was going to do at that point and I just wanted to force myself to do something creative regularly. And I, so I just gave that to myself. And I've never heard of that. Yeah. 
Um, but fortunately, I have lots of avenues for my creativity now. And and maybe unfortunately, the time step Tuesday has fallen by the wayside a little bit for me personally. But this the other thing is when I started doing it, I always hoped that it would be something lots of tap dancers would do. Catch so on. there are definitely other people who do time step Tuesdays, which is great. Oh, that's really um, cool. Yeah. They hashtag them as such. Mm hmm. Uh, you got Instagram feeds. You got anything you want people to follow if they're going to follow you? Sure. My, my Instagram is at jumpsuit Alex. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm on Facebook at uh, just type Alex McDonald. Uh, yeah. I'll probably the only tap dancer with that name. And then my, <laughs> He'll web- be the guy with tap shoes on. Right. And my website is Alex com. Excellent. Uh, maybe what we'll do is, uh, before we go get a bite, mm-hmm. you have shoes with you? Yeah. Maybe we'll just, I just want to, if we can just do a little two or three minute thing where we just explain some real basics, you know what I mean? Like break it down just because I think the average person sees somebody tapping and they're just like, it's this like overwhelming cacophony of like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, I don't even know where to start to like get a bite into it. You Mm -hmm. know, it's like listening to some other language and not even knowing where the words separate, Mm -hmm. you know, do you mind doing that? No, no, not at all. Okay. So we'll do that and we'll append this to the end, but, uh. Thank you, Alex, for coming over and thank you, Bill. educating all of us. This was oh, fun. So this, uh, we barely, I know we barely scratched curve, the surface, but, yeah. but you know, we did an hour and 34 minutes mm-hmm. of barely scratching the surface, which is kind of cool. I think. Yeah. It's kind of fun. Thank you for having me on. No problem. It's good to hang. Uh, yeah, let's, uh, here, we'll, we'll do this. We'll just, I think what we should do is, oh, I like that. All right. So time step. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I know this is all very basic yeah. stuff, but I'm just I like it's No, it's hard. fine. Yeah. So, um as you're saying earlier, like the idea of 3 and a break. Yeah. So, um okay, I'll just do a time step in 4/4 four, four time. Yeah. 1 2 1 2 3. That's now, by the way, the lick you just did, the uh-huh. one you chose for the A sections, yeah, is that a very traditional thing you did? Uh, I mean, I don't know. It's it, it sort of um, it starts. It's like the beginning of something we call the crossover, which yeah. would be brush heel shuffle step, press step shuffle, hop cross heel for lap ball change. Yeah, that yeah, would yeah, be yeah, the crossover. Yeah. So I kind of took it out, but at that point it changes into something else. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, and the crossover is something that would appear in the, the BS chorus, which we talked about earlier. Yeah, well, how does that go? The BS chorus? Yeah. Okay, well, sure doesn't stand for Bachelor of Science. One, <laughs> two, one, two, three. BS course. Is that, is that the kind of thing where you were a, a, a young tap dancer? Is that like, is that like learning rhythm changes in jazz? Yeah, but essentially the, the BS chorus, the shim sham. You know, there's sort of a handful of yeah. tap standards you could say. Yeah, you the, learn Donnelly, you learn this, you learn whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's really it's four sections. Um, first section is a time step. 
Second section is a crossover. The third section is the one-footed wing. Um, And then the last section is over the tops and trenches, which with shaving a haircut at the end, which is like kind of, it's just as many tap cliches kind of crammed together as possible. Um, But that made it easy for someone in the city to show someone, oh, we got a routine. Um, But yeah, I I guess I'll just briefly touch on, because you were talking, you mentioned before the idea of, of, a language, right? And so very similar in in tap, we kind of have our ABCs, right? You have a step, which is the ball of the foot, a heel, you drop the heel down, a dig is a flex foot, toe drop, put the foot flat. Kind of the opposite of the other. Yeah, there's there's a toe knock, which is like the the very top of the shoe. Um, But then you start to piece together letters and you get words like cramp roll, which is two steps and two heels, or a shuffle step, you know? Eventually you start to get sentences like, the crossover and then eventually if you're fluent enough you can start to just have dialogue and tell stories you know i I do an exercise with accents a lot where just based around the cramp roll you know maybe i'll give two three four okay it's four cramp rolls and then we build a certain accent pattern on top of it so maybe it's a clave yeah maybe it's the cascada Yeah, and then maybe we layer those. So somebody's doing the, and someone else, yeah. Um, the clave yeah. is something that's migrated from Africa and reemerged in a million different ways, right? In yeah. in in New Orleans, in second line. Right in Bossa Nova. Um, So maybe like one note gets delayed a little bit or yeah. move forward, and yeah. but it's the clave is ever present. There's kind of three parts to tap dance. There's the way it, there's the way it looks, the way it sounds, and the way it feels for the dancer to yeah. do it. The somatic experience of tap dance, right? The internal sensation of, of it. So the goal is the sound. We want to achieve a specific sound at a specific point in time, a certain tone, and, and all of that. Um, in order to achieve that sound, you have to put your entire body in the position where your feet can kind of succeed, right? So there's momentum and, right. and weight shift involved, gravity. balance, yeah, gravity, exactly. And as a result of those two things, you might end up with a picture, yes, right? Yeah, yeah, a yeah, diagonal yeah. or a line. But the picture, at least in, in this iteration of tap dancing, separate from what happens on the Great White Way, the picture is not the impetus for the movement. And it's, the right. picture is not the goal. It's a happy... As as, um, as Bob Ross would say, it's a happy little accident. All that analytical stuff is only as good as it gets you to the intuitive side where you're feeling something, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Where, where okay, I'm not thinking one E and a two E and a three E and four. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. thinking, uh, 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 yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. As a, and so, and a lot of that gets to um, how quickly can you ritualize something or, or make it so that, you don't have to think about it, right? If 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 this is not changing, right, left, right, left, step, step, heel, heel, one, two, three, four. I don't have to think about that. This is like that walk home that I don't even remember doing because it was muscle memory. The accents are the phone call I got on the way, right? That's the thing that maybe I actually direct my attention to, or I'm more yeah, conscious yeah, yeah. of. The rest of it just becomes... Mantra, or yeah, I mean... Twyla Tharp has a great book, The Creative Habit, and um, she talks a lot about, like, 
how much of her day she's ritualized so it doesn't take up any of her creative or mental energy, sure. right? Gets her coffee at the same newspaper stand every morning, hails a cab at the same corner, yep. all of this so that when she's in the studio, she hasn't expended any mental energy on all yeah, that yeah, stuff, yeah. you know? That, that book and Bird by Bird are sort of the classic, mm-hmm. classics of creative... Creative yeah. self-help yeah, books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's go get some food. I'm uh, hungry. Great. Good? <laughs> 